0: And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. So earlier this week, I Googled something and wanted to share some of the results with you. Uh, The thing that I Googled was the most underappreciated things, and I found different kinds of lists, different things. There was one list in particular that had several things that I thought were interesting and thought there were several things on this list that absolutely these are underappreciated things, and uh, here here are a few of these from this list. I love the first one. One of the most underappreciated things in life is your nose when it's not congested. I mean, how true is that? How underappreciated is that? We don't appreciate when I can breathe and I can sleep at night and I'm not uncomfortable and I'm not clogged. But whenever, man, whenever those nostrils get clogged and congested, woo, life is just difficult, right? Uh, So underappreciated things is a nose that's uncongested. Uh, How about this one? And maybe this is one that you've noticed more lately, and that is silence. Silence can be so underappreciated. Maybe lately you've had more time on your hands, and maybe you've been watching less because we've had less live sports and events to watch and less things to do. So maybe you've had a little bit more silence, and maybe you find that, hmm, I I get used to that. That's pretty cool. So sometimes silence can be underappreciated. Another thing that definitely in our culture is underappreciated is clean water. I mean, we have an abundance of it. We, it's not usually a, a hard thing for us to come by, but for a lot of the world, that's a different story. They don't have it, or they have very little of it, or it's a difficult thing or a long time to go get it. And so definitely fresh, clean water, underappreciated thing. And the last one I liked because of the current situation that we're in, uh, one of the most underappreciated things on this list that I Googled this week was a smile from a stranger. Now, that may not only be underappreciated, but it may be something that you don't see as often because if you're out and about with the mask on and everybody else has a mask on, you're not going to know if they're smiling or not. They may be, you know, sticking their tongue out at you. They may be giving you a frown or whatever. So right, especially right now, smiles from strangers, very underappreciated, but have a lot of value. So the reason that I Googled that and mentioned that at the outset is because we're in week three of this series we've been in called 12, looking at the original 12 disciples, the original followers of Jesus. And the guy that we're going to talk about and focus on today is, I believe, one of, if not the most underappreciated of all of the 12 disciples. Uh, I think he should get a lot more play. I wish we knew more about him, but there's so much that we can learn from him. So today's disciple that we're going to look at is Andrew. We're going to look at Andrew, who, again, I believe is way underappreciated. There is little that we know and read about him, but everything that we read, really, we're going to cover today. That's how little we have about him. And what we're going to see is we can learn a lot from him. We can learn a lot about how we should follow Jesus as we see how he followed Jesus, So what we're going to do is I'm going to give three descriptions about Andrew that pretty easily give us a good look into this disciple, into this follower of Jesus. And all along the way, I think we're going to learn a lot of great lessons that will help us, I believe, follow Jesus even better. So again, we're looking at the disciple Andrew. The first description of Andrew that we're going to look at today is the fact that he was what I would call an early adopter. Andrew was an early adopter. Now, usually, that term is used about media or technology. So if, you know... uh, an early adopter would be someone who, when the new iPhone comes out, they get it immediately. They don't wait for the bugs. They don't wait for people to sh- figure out how it works or show them the different features. They're waiting outside in line, willing to pay over $1,000 for this brand new phone on day one. They're an early adopter. Or when a new form of social media starts, which I'll talk about my experience with that in just a second, they're the first ones to just try it out. Yeah, I mean, it may not be great. It may fail. It may be terrible. It may, you know, fade away in eight months, but I'm going to try I'm an early adopter. Uh, You know, email is one of those things where there were some early adopters. Officially, email was invented back in the 1970s, but it wasn't until the late, late 80s that email first began to become a thing that was more widely used. But even then, it took a while for email to really catch on. It wasn't until the mid to even late 90s that email became more mainstream. So the people in the late 80s, or right at the early, early 90s, or the companies that started using it to share information. Or people who are like, I don't have to wait three days to get my letter sent and then another two to three days to get it back. Like, I can send it right now and get it back, message back as soon as they send it. That's great. People that did that early, we would call them early adopters. It's a new form of of writing and communication. Not sure how the bugs are going to work out. Not sure how it's going to look, if it's going to catch on. But we're going to try it. Uh, And so some of those people would be early adopters. Now, I, I know that I'm young and hip and cool, Clearly I am because I just used the word hip to describe myself. Um, But I'm not necessarily an early adopter when it comes to media technology, right? I'm a medium, I'm a mid-adopter, maybe even a late adopter. Let me give you an example of that. So Facebook started in 2004 as more of a just one thing at one school, but quickly it spread and spread and spread. Like Within a year, basically, if you're a college student anywhere, if you have your college email address, you can log in and be a part of the Facebook, right? be a part of Facebook. And so I know that even, uh, I remember this at my friend's apartment in college. Um, he had just signed up for this new thing called Facebook. This is like 2005 probably. And it was just like a way to communicate and keep up. And we know what it is now, but back in 2005, 15 years ago, this was like a brand new phenomenon, brand new sort of idea. And, uh, so it's been around for quite a while, and I've been out of college for a while. I'm actually a youth pastor, and I'm so hip and so cool that it takes me till the summer of 2010 to sign up for Facebook. It was July of 2010. I looked it up this week to see to confirm that. So you would think, man, I've been on Facebook for almost 10 years, the last decade of my life. I've been on social media. But as I was looking at some of the messages from people that I friended at the very beginning, they were like, finally, you're finally on Facebook. Good to see you. What took you so long? So I'm not necessarily an early adopter. But Andrew was an early adopter. Now, we're not talking about technology or media with him, obviously. So what made Andrew an early adopter? Why would we call him that? We're going to look here at John chapter 1 and uh, check out why Andrew was an early adopter. So John 1.35 says this, The following day, John, so this is John the Baptist, uh, not John the Apostle, uh, but John the Baptist, so Jesus' cousin, who was kind kind of a traveling preacher before Jesus was, okay? The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples as Jesus walked by. John looked at him and declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. So we see, really, early on, Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist. So we, we, even before he follows Jesus, he's an early adopter to sort of this next generation of Jewish teachers or prophets or, or people, if you will. So he, John was kind of an eccentric, eccentric sort of guy. He was sort of a different animal, weird. People kind of stayed away. But Andrew was one of the few close followers, close disciples of John the Baptist. He was an early adopter even in this way. But then John, he was always pointing to somebody who would come after him. He would say, "Hey, I'm just the opening act here." He says, "The guy who's going to come after me, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes because he's the Messiah." And then when Jesus sort of enters the picture here, we just read it. John says, "Hey, that's the guy. Hey, he's the guy. He's the guy that you should follow." And it says immediately, Andrew says, "Okay." Let's follow this guy. He was an early adopter. Not only will we say he's an early adopter, we would say he's an early adapter because he went from following this guy to just pivoting to following this guy all of a sudden. He adapted quickly. He didn't need a lot of explanation. He didn't need to read the terms and conditions cuz nobody ever does. Uh, He didn't need to interview Jesus or find out, like he's immediately following him and like, where do you stand? We're going to go with you. Where are you going? We're going to follow you. And so Andrew clearly was an early adopter. It shows a a pretty good amount of faith here from this, again, underappreciated disciple of Jesus. The second way that we would describe Andrew uh, is that not only was he an early adopter, but he was an oversight You could definitely say that Andrew was an oversight. Now, this description of Andrew might be the most impressive thing about him. I know it sounds weird to say that, but it might be the most impressive thing about Andrew is that he was an oversight. Because what is Andrew's claim to fame? What is Andrew known for? He's known for being the brother of Peter. You know, that's what he's known for. He's Peter's brother. Every time you read about Andrew, we have to make sure that we tell you, oh, it's Peter's brother, Andrew, okay? So he's an oversight. Basically, uh, Andrew here is Jan Brady from the Brady Bunch. Because Jan is always talking about Marsha. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Why does Marsha get all the boys? Why does Marsha get all the attention? You know, and Jan's kind of, you know, she sometimes is in that weird, sort of awkward phase in her life. And her older brother sister, sorry, her older sister, uh, Marsha is, you know, prettier and has perfect hair that she brushes all the time, and, and she's the oldest and she's maybe the favorite, blah, blah, blah. And so in some ways, Andrew is Jan Brady. Another thing is, is like if if Andrew were in the Olympics, he would always be like just out of medal range, just off the podium. Because when you read the order of the disciples, uh, he's always fourth. So Jesus sort of had an inner three, a top three, if you will, his brother Peter being number one, and then James and John, who we'll talk about next weekend, Uh, They're the other two in the top three. Andrew, every time the total 12 is listed, he's number four. He just missed the cut. Not the gold medal, not the silver medal, not the bronze medal. He just missed the podium so many times. He missed so many special moments with Jesus that just the inner three got to experience. So many cool things that he had to hear secondhand from probably Peter, who knowing him probably rubbed it in a little bit to his kid brother. But And here's the thing, Andrew should be saying, hey, dude, remember, I was the first disciple? Like, I was the first one to ever follow you? Did you, for, did you forget that part of it? But what is so amazing and so inspiring about Andrew is he seemed to be okay with his position. He seemed to be totally comfortable in his own skin about, yeah, number four, and they're the top three, and I'm okay. I'm cool with that. So really, Andrew's not Jan Brady, he's Cindy Brady. You know, Cindy, the little sister, she's just happy and just happy to be there, just happy to be part of the family. You know, nothing's going to ruin her day. She's going to do her thing and just, and just do it, right? That's really what Andrew was. He's more like Cindy Brady because he's just happy to be part of the team. He's just happy part of the, part of the crew. He's the kind of teammate that you want on your team. He's not going to try to hog the ball. He knows he's not going to be the leading scorer, but he's going to do the dirty work down low. He's going to get the extra rebound. He's going to make the hustle play. It's not going to show up in the stat sheet of life, the impact that he makes, but he still makes an impact. He's the kind of guy you want on your team. He's the kind of guy that Jesus knows I can count on him. He's not going to complain He's not going to whine. He's not going to jockey for position. He's not going to try to start, you know, a problem with the upper three to gain a spot. He's not going to try to flatter me to make me include him and now we're going to have a top four. Nope. He's just consistent. He's he's content. He's happy with where he is. And in that way, he is very much like Jesus. So in Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes basically about how Andrew behaved, how he lived, how he followed Jesus as he tries to get us to learn how we should follow Jesus, how we should live our lives. Let's look at it real quick. Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse number 3. Paul writes, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And then Paul describes, you know, Jesus is God. He is eternal. He came from heaven to earth. He humbled himself to live on the earth. He created as one of his own creation, as a human, to take our place on our cross for our sin, the humility that Jesus showed. Paul says you should show that. And Andrew definitely showed that. You don't read a lot about Andrew because if you did, it'd probably be for the wrong reasons. It'd probably be he was making trouble or he was causing dissension or he was backstabbing other disciples or he was trying to flatter or impress Jesus. But nope, he was content with being who he was, doing what he was called to do by Jesus. Not playing the comparison game, not trying to figure out where he stood in line. He's not doing that. He's just faithfully following Jesus. And really, so we have this word oversight. Andrew was an oversight in quotes because honestly, he wasn't. Do you know why? It's because he was called by Jesus just like every other disciple was. So somebody, the other authors, the other gospel writers, they may have had this list and there may have been sort of an inner three thing going on and that sort of thing, but he was called just the same. He had a job to do just the same. He had whatever Jesus wanted him to do. He was content and happy. So I don't think he viewed himself that way. Others may have, certainly, even the others of the original 12 disciples probably knew, man, he's so close to the top. You know, why can't he break through? Why can't he break the barrier? Why won't Jesus let him in? But he probably didn't see himself as an oversight, and I don't think we should either. And so when it comes to our lives, ask yourself the same question. Do you ever feel underappreciated? Do you feel like an oversight? Even in your faith, even maybe to Jesus, do you feel like, you know, this person has a gift that I don't have? And this person does this thing that I wish I could do. And I, I just I don't feel like there's a lot of value here, but I, I feel like I'm maybe being underused or underappreciated or under undervalued. And I just wish that maybe Jesus would give me more attention. Maybe he would bless me more. Let me just encourage you to have the heart and attitude of Andrew here. To not compare yourself to everybody else and what they're doing and where they rank and you know, just Jesus has saved you. He died for you. That's pretty special. And because he did that, you're now a child of God. That's pretty special. I don't know what more we could want. And yet we get so bogged down with these secondary issues and comparison games that just are never helpful, never any good, never of any positive value. So our encouragement should be to be like Andrew, to know what Jesus has called us and equipped us to do and do it. We're not an oversight, we're not overlooked, we're not underappreciated, we are saved by Jesus, we've been called by Jesus, we're following Jesus, he's got a specific thing for me to do, he's got a specific thing for you to do, and the best thing we can do is put blinders on and just do what he's called us to do. So don't, don't worry about the oversight issue or the undervalued issue, because Jesus has you right where he wants you, doing exactly what he wants you to do. Here's the third description about Andrew, and it's probably the most important and has the most lasting impact and has very little to do with him. And that is the fact that Andrew was a bringer. Andrew was a bringer. And there's two aspects I want to explore about this description of Andrew being a bringer. We're going to look at first what he brought to Jesus. So Andrew is a bringer what he brought to Jesus. We're going to see this in a very familiar account from the life of Jesus that we find in John's Gospel, uh, chapter 6. Andrew plays a pretty important role in a pretty cool story. So John's chapter 6, starting at verse 5, says this. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, another disciple, he asked, Where can we buy bread to feed all these people? I love this part. He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Let's stop there for just one second. Jesus probably does this to you and to me sometimes. He wants us to know he knows what he's doing. We don't know what he's doing, but he does. He doesn't always let us know what he's doing or why he's doing it, or why he's not doing something, or why he's not doing what we want him to do, or what we thought he would do, right? He doesn't always tell us. Sometimes he lets us think and guess and pray and wait, but he always knows what he's doing. He's never caught off guard, never surprised, never like, "Um, uh, we need to figure this out. He asks Philip, what should we do here, Philip? How are we going to feed these people? And Philip's like, "I, I don't know. I don't know. So I just want to make sure we get this. Jesus always knows what he's doing and always knows what he's going to do. You can trust Jesus. Let's continue on in the story. So it says, Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. So Philip is like, I don't know what we're going to do, but I really hope Jesus knows what he's going to do, right? Then Andrew, so here we go. And again, we're going to see his description, Simon Peter's brother. Okay, Andrew said, he spoke up, he said, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that with this huge crowd? So Andrew, again, we're seeing that Andrew is a bringer. Here's the key to this point. What Andrew brought to Jesus wasn't much, but it was enough. And we see Philip immediately has no idea what to do, no solution. He has lots of questions, lots of doubts. Now, Andrew has some doubts too. Really, none of the disciples know what Jesus is about to do. No one in the crowd of thousands of people know what Jesus is about to do. That's why it's called a miracle, okay? Because it's unexpected, it's impossible. No one would ever even think to come up with what he's about to do. But Andrew does what Philip did not. So yeah, he has doubts and questions and he's not sure what's about to happen, but at least he brings Jesus something, okay? It's not much, but it was enough. He brought at least a possible solution or a partial solution. Andrew was a bringer. So he brought, he says, Jesus, hey, we got a Lunchable here. You know, this kid has given up his Lunchable and maybe it even had a little Capri Sun, like it's a good one, it's a big one, right? It's got the drink and the candy with it, but it's still not going to feed an arena full of people. But with Jesus, it was enough. Because as we know, he blessed it and they handed it out, and there was enough to feed thousands of people with leftovers, baskets of leftovers. So again, what Andrew brought Jesus wasn't much, but it was enough. So that's what he brought Jesus. Now let's get to who Andrew brought to Jesus. This is huge, this is important, this is world changing, history-changing stuff, who Andrew brought to Jesus. Let's look at it. We're going to go back to uh, John chapter 1 again to see the importance of this. So John chapter 1, back up to verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. So what did he do? Immediately, Andrew went to find his brother Simon or Peter and told him we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Andrew introduced Peter to Jesus. He brought them together and we talked about Peter last week. If you know anything about church history, early church history, you know, Peter's kind of a big deal. Everything really flowed through his leadership for the first couple decades or so of the Christian church. Jesus left Peter in charge after he left, and this is all really thanks to Andrew, who was a bringer of Peter to Jesus. There's two names in fairly modern history that you've probably never heard of, and they are what I would qualify or classify as modern-day Andrews. Again, two names you've never heard of probably, but you've heard of other names associated with them. The first name is Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball was a normal, everyday guy, church going guy, Sunday school teacher at his church. Nobody knows about him, except that one day in 1854, he went down to his local shoe shop. And felt impressed to talk to one of the young clerks there, 19 year old young kid working at this shoe store. And as Edward Kimball shares a love of Jesus with him, this young, young man gives his heart and life to Jesus. This young man's name was Dwight Moody, you might know him as D.L. Moody few years later for the next 40 years the last half of the 19th century D.L. Moody was the most famous preacher probably in the world he traveled all over uh, the U.S. all over North America and even into Western Europe where he would preach before thousands of people like on a slow night he's in front of two to three thousand people on a good night he's in front of 25 30,000 people 150 60 70 years ago this is going on right So D.L. Moody preached in front of millions of people. It's estimated that over a million people made decisions for Christ under his 40 or so years of traveling ministry. And it's all thanks to Edward Kimball, a guy nobody knows about, nobody cares about, but because he was a bringer, he brought change to millions and life change to almost a million the other modern day uh, Andrew or bringer is a man named Mordecai Ham. So, Mordecai Ham uh, in the early 1900s was a traveling preacher. And in 1934, he was doing a crusade, a group of meetings in Charlotte, North Carolina. At the end of one of these nights, one of these services, a young 16 year old boy came forward and gave his life to Christ, which changed everything. You may never have heard of Mordecai Ham. But you've definitely heard of this 16-year-old kid. His name is Billy Graham. And as you know, Billy Graham went on to have more than 60 years of traveling ministry all over the world. He preached in front of hundreds of millions of people in person in over 180 countries, preached in front of hundreds of millions more over television. This is before the internet, people, okay? We're talking about he's reaching hundreds of millions of people in person or just over television. And it's estimated that Over three and a half million people made decisions for Christ because of Billy Graham's ministry. You never heard of Mordecai Ham, but you heard of Billy Graham. That kind of rhyme, that's kind of cool. Mordecai Ham was a bringer. He was an Andrew. Who he was, in the grand scheme of things, didn't mean a whole lot. But who he brought to Jesus changed the world. Pretty amazing influence, impact that we can have as we are like Andrew, as we are bringers. So think as we close today about who you have impacted for the gospel. Think of those people that you've influenced them, you've impacted them because of your life, your witness to them, they have become a follower of Jesus. Think about how God may use them. You might feel overlooked, you might feel undervalued, but think about the people that you're affecting how exponentially you're affecting people as you win multiple people to Christ. Think about the impact they might have on many more people and many more people. Think about that, the impact you can have if you are a bringer. And then think about the people that you may in the future bring to faith in Christ, that you may introduce to Jesus in the coming months and years. You may never know the impact that you might have on history, on the future, on how many countless dozens, hundreds, thousands of lives just by simply being a bringer, being an Andrew. What I do may not amount to much, but if I can impact a few people for Jesus, if I can impact a bunch of people for Jesus, and they replicate that, what it is is think of your life as a stone thrown into a body of water. That stone just makes one splash, and down it goes. But the ripple effect keeps going on and on and on till the end of that body of water. That's what your life as a disciple should look like. That's, what you're, that's the whole point of being a follower of Jesus. Is not just that I follow him, but that through my life, through my influence, through my witness, through my words and deeds, I can help others to find and follow Jesus and keep this chain reaction going, keep this ripple effect going, the ripple effect of faith. That's what you and I can be as we're like Andrew, as we are a bringer of people to Jesus. I know I want to be like Andrew, and I want you to be like Andrew. I want us to be early adopters. I want us to be full of faith that if God says it, I'm all in. If Jesus is leading me, I'm going to follow. No matter, I don't need like a super download. I don't need to read the manual first. I'm just going to follow where he leads. I want to be like Andrew and just follow him. I want to be like Andrew and just be content with what God's called me to do. It may not look like this other person over here, this other person over there. I want to be content with what God's called me to do. I want to be comfortable in my own skin. I want to be okay with I'm me doing what God's called me to do, and I'm going to do it the best I can. I'm going to give myself full on for Jesus the best that I can. I want to be like Andrew. How about you? I want to be like Andrew so I can be a bringer. I want to know that what I offer Jesus may not be a whole lot, but in his hands, it's more than enough. I want to know that the people that I introduce to Jesus, that's what it's all about. Impacting lives, life change, destiny change, eternity change for so many people that then will ripple effect on and on and have an influence way greater than I ever could, way longer than I ever will because I'm doing my part of being a faithful follower and disciple and professor of Jesus. So that other people can come to know and love and follow him. And it just continues on and on. I want to be an Andrew. How about you? Let's pray. God, today that is my prayer. That we would be like Andrew. Again, an underappreciated, undervalued disciple. Because he was just faithful. He just kept his head down and worked. He just he didn't whine or complain or or argue, or jockey for position, but he just said, hey Jesus, I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to be faithful. You can count on me, Jesus. I followed you early, and, and just right off the bat, and nothing's going to keep me from doing that. I want to be like that, and I hope that everybody here today watching and listening wants to be like that too, and I want us to be bringers. What I bring to Jesus, what everybody here today brings to Jesus in your hands is more than enough. You can do great things through us, even if what we do is not that great. In your hands, it's enough. And I pray that we would have the attitude of Andrew that we want to bring people to Jesus. We want to introduce people to Jesus. We want their lives to change so that more lives can change. I want to see this exponential growth in the faith because it started with me, simple me, bringing one person to Jesus, then another person to Jesus. As we just faithfully execute the vision of the gospel, And sharing the gospel, that's what will happen. Impact greater than we could ever imagine in little old me. Yes. In little old you. Yes. So God, I thank you that as we're just faithful followers of Jesus, doing our thing, meeting our calling, answering the call, that you do the work. You're the miracle worker, not us. You're the savior, not us. You do the, the work, not us. We just play our part and you do the rest and you never fail. You have a perfect track record of success. So as we faithfully follow you, do our part, and bring people to you, you can do wonders we could never begin to imagine. So I thank you for that heart and that attitude that I hope all of us today have and will continue to grow in as we follow faithfully our Savior and our Lord, Jesus Christ. And I thank you for it. In his name we pray. Amen once again, thanks for joining us this weekend for First Century Church Online. It's been great having you with us, uh, talking about this awesome underrated disciple, and I can't wait for next weekend to do a two-for-one. We're talking about two disciples next weekend, and I hope you can join us at that time for First Century Church Online. God bless you. Have a great week.